Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you on live stream. We welcome you on podcast. Glad that you could be with us today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We welcome back our people from the snow-capped country. <laughs> Glad you could be here. Praise God. Praise God. I know it's raining today, but you don't have to shovel it. Glory to God. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Amen. Would you open up with me this morning to Jeremiah chapter 17? And uh, I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. You know, uh, when we first started the church, or first started pastoring, the Lord said to me, you will never teach individual teachings. He said, everything you teach will be in a series. It'll be line upon line and precept upon precept. And he said, if the people will take hold of these things, it'll really build a great foundation and root system within them. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Because you can't just hear one thing one time. You know, you got to go a little further and a little further and a little further. And that's what God has us to do. Because, you know, the breadth, the width, the depth and the height of God, who can measure it? So can you ever go too far into his word? Amen. There is so much. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Well, here in Jeremiah 17, I want to read verses 7 and 8 that we read uh, last week. <laughs> we know Jeremiah was a bullfrog, but we need him to move a little. There you go. Blesses the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. He starts off by saying blessed. And the word blessed is defined as being blessed and happy. Blessed and happy. Glory to God. It implies actually a state of prosperity. And you know that when we talk about prosperity, it doesn't just mean money. Prosperity has to do with all of our life. It's a state of prosperity or a state of happiness. And it comes from the place of being blessed, which is a superior that bestows his favor. Well, you know, God's the superior. And Jesus said he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the favor of God. When the favors of God profusely abound. He said that in Luke chapter 4. Remember that? And... Um, you know, this is the superior God pouring out on us, all right, uh, a favor, his grace being poured out on us, you know, and um, in Ephesians, in the Passion Translation, it says that we would have within us unveiled the unlimited riches of his glory and his favor, unlimited. His favor is unlimited, I've known people that said, well, I don't know if we can ask God for this. That's kind of a lot. It's not, it's not a lot. It's unlimited. God's favor is unlimited. The only thing that's a lot is whether we can get it in our nugget. Isn't that right? Amen. Blessed is the man who trusts. The word trust in the Hebrew means to attach oneself, to confide in, to feel safe, confident, secure, and carefree. 
Blessed is the man that attaches himself to the Lord, that is confident in the Lord, is safe, confident, and secure, and carefree in the Lord. One translation says he relies on the Lord. And the basic idea of this trust is that you're firm and you're solid. You know, you're not wavering back and forth. You're not being blown about by every wind that comes about, but you're solid and firm and secure in the Lord. Amen. Now, every single one of us, I would say, wants to be blessed of God. Everyone does. So what do we have to do? Set our trust. Blessed is the man who trusts, sets his trust, is confident in and abides in the Lord. That's the person that's blessed. Isn't that right? Not only does he trust in the Lord, but it says, and whose trust is the Lord. And that word trust can actually be defined as hope because this kind of a trust creates a hope that has a confident expectation. This is not like, oh, I hope this happens. Oh, I hope something takes place. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, but never really knowing. But a Bible hope means to have a confident expectation that what God said and what you believe in God is going to happen. Now, some people will tell you, well, you can't know what God's going to do. Well, maybe you need to get to know him because he's laid it all out in his word so that you can know. The Bible tells us that eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that God has prepared for those that love him. But but to us, he has revealed them through the spirit. So therefore, it's been revealed. How come we don't know it? Why do we still live in the dark? Why do we still think God's such a mystery? It's more of a mystery what happens to your socks in the dryer than God. God is not a mystery. You ever notice that about socks? The dryer don't take both socks. If it took both socks, you'd be like, you wouldn't miss it. But it takes one. One disappears and you get one back so that you can know, like, where'd the other one go? That's a mystery. But the Bible hope is one that has confident expectation, not constant anxiety. Natural hope gives you constant anxiety because you never know how it's going to turn out. But Bible hope is a confident expectation. Amen. So it's based on trust and confidence. So blessed, blessed is the man who trusts and has confident expectation of hope in the Lord. So if his word says he sent his word to heal you and deliver you from your destructions, that's what he said. That's what I believe. That's the way it's going to be. Amen. And he says that this person that's blessed and trust will be like a tree. Like a tree, glory to God, a tree planted, a tree planted. This is not a tree uprooted. This is a tree planted. And he's talking about the righteous man who seeks God with all of his heart and turns away from evil. Just like Psalm 1 talks about, you know, this man does not uh, walk in the way of the wicked, not sit in the seat, uh, uh, does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the word of the Lord, and in, his, and in his word he meditates day and night, and he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So this is a person that's planted. He's planted by the waters. By the, the waters are the abundant, never-ending, never-failing waters of the word of God. That is the water. That's the life-giving stream. Isn't that right? 
This person, a tree planted, this person is solid, firm. He abides and he's immovable. No matter what goes on around us. Amen. And it says that he extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought. Now notice, the heat comes. The drought comes. Isn't that right? So being in the water does not stop the heat, nor does it stop the drought. But it can stop the fear and the anxiety of the heat and the drought. You know, I don't know if you've realized it, but in the last few years, we've been walking in a little bit of a drought. You know, Pastor Nid just went to Sam's and went to get some paper towels that used to cost how much? Used to cost how much? It used to cost $35, and now it cost $50. Yeah, for a big package of paper towels. You know, we, we went out for a little dinner, just her and I last night, $65. You know, so... And it was soup. We had soup. <laughs> so things are a little more than what they used to be. Isn't that right? And I, I would, if, you know, being on camera, I would, I would give a line of thanks for who's responsible for that, but I'm not going to. So... Being by the streams and having the word flowing in us does not stop the heat, nor does it stop the drought, but it can stop the anxiety and fear of it. Now, it doesn't mean that fear and anxiety won't show up. But because you're in that word and your roots are in the streams of the word, then you can stand up to the fear and stand up to the anxiety, take authority over it and not accept that fear and authority. And it's going to have to leave. Because James tells us that if you submit to God, and by submitting to God, you're resisting the devil, and he's going to flee. So that fear and anxiety is going to have to go. Because when it sees it has no access to you, it's going to go find somebody it does. Isn't that right? Amen. So therefore, because of not taking on the fear and not taking on the anxiety, then even in the middle of heat and in the middle of drought, this tree will continue to bear continue to be blessed, continue to prosper, and continue to be happy because it continues to flourish no matter what's going on around. Isn't that right? This is a place of great refreshing in life. We can walk and live refreshed no matter what's going on around us. And, you know, we'll struggle over these things until we start to get into the flow of the streams of water. And it's what we talked about where the stresses and the strains passes over from self to Christ. And you get into that flow and into that flow of the word. Isn't that right? Amen. So we want to, as we talked about this year, to revisit, refresh, and refire. One of the things we need to refire is our expectations of confident hope in the Lord. Refire those those confident expectations of hope in the Lord. That when you declare what the word of God says, you know it's going to be. Well, what if I don't see it? That doesn't change the word. The word stays the same and the word will change what you see. It's having an inward certainty regardless of what goes on outside. I remember the first time back in 1995 and the Lord had us as a ministry start giving our tithe to ICFM. 
And the minute we all made that decision to give, bring the tithe into the ICFM, which was our ministry covering, there was financial attack. I mean, finances got attacked big time. And we said, no, I, you think I don't know what you're doing here? We just declared that we agreed with God that our tithe is going to go to our ministry covering of ICFM, and now you're going to come with a financial attack. You think we can't see this? And we just stood up to it, we spoke to it, and it had to go. Amen. Are you with me? So having an inward certainty, despite what's going on outwardly, despite how you feel, despite your emotions or what's running through your thoughts. But settle in and settle down with confidence in the word of God. God and his word are the same. So if he said it in his word, it's spoken by his Holy Spirit, it is absolute truth. See, this is a clear indication of where our faith is at, and if we believe it. Where is your expectation? Where is your confidence expectation? Where is your know that you know that you know, regardless of what you say? And how long does that confident expectation last until you start leaning over to the things you see? It's an indication of where faith is at. Now, when we talk about where faith is at, we're not talking about the amount of faith or the size of faith, whether you have big faith, because we know mustard seed faith can move a mountain. So we're not talking about it. We're talking very simply about if you do have it or you don't have it. That's what faith is. You know, whenever you think I need more faith, no, no, you don't need more faith. You just need faith. R.W. Schombach used to say that very clear. He used to say, you have no problems. All you need is faith in God. That's all you need. So you either have faith or you don't have faith. Isn't that right? So it's just like, you know, we talk about understanding and revelation. All right. Faith needs to come alive on the inside of us, you know, as a product of meditating, pondering and thinking about what the word of God says. You know, it's like people used to say, you know, uh, and, and I used to say this, too, before getting saved. Well, you know, if God really wanted to get to me, he'd get to me right where I'm at. But he didn't go to the bar I was at. Are you with me? So I want to spend my time with him thinking about his word, meditating on his word, pondering his word so that can come alive on the inside of me. This is not something we work up in the flesh. You know, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. It's not trying to work it up. You either do or you don't. It's really simple. There's no working up about it. You don't say something to try to convince God you believe it. You don't say something to try to convince the devil you believe it. You might say something to try to convince yourself that you believe it. Right? That's right. But we need to press into the word of God and pray in the Holy Ghost. If we're saying the word, listen, if you're saying the word to try to convince yourself, then here's all you need to know. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, saying the word. But here's what you need to understand. That's not faith. It's meditating on the word. And you have to understand the difference between meditating on the word and when it's faith. So when does meditating on the word become faith? How do I know if it's faith or if it's meditating on the word? It's when the word that you've been speaking to yourself 
automatically comes out in a situation without even thinking about it. Pretty much that word just pops out unexpected. It just, boom, it just comes right out of you. You didn't even think about it. You didn't have to go to your concordance. You didn't have to pull on your what would Jesus say strap. You know, you didn't need, a, as Pastor U. Ellen talked about, a topical Bible. You, it was in you. It just came out of you. And it reminds me of the story about that woman that owned that one shop and uh, a person came in to rob her, took a gun out, stuck it right in her face and right out of her came. You get out of my shop in the name of Jesus. I mean, it just came born out of her. And the guy just he didn't know what to do. And ultimately, he ran out of the shop. You know. Now, you can't. Lay it out, you know, well, what would I do if a robber comes in? This is what I will say. It's not a pre-programmed deal. It has to just come out. Why? Because it comes out of who you are. Uh, I knew this one couple and they were driving down the interstate and just driving along. But all of a sudden something happened on the inside of them and everybody hit their brakes and they're coming up on that car behind them. And the woman yells, Jesus, help us. And that car moved right out of the way. See, but it was just, here it comes, without even thinking about it. So the word that you've been speaking in just starts coming out without even thinking about it. That's how you know when faith is in operation. Amen. So we want to, through this year, revisit things that causes faith to get refired again on the inside of us, that we get stirred up in the spirit like we talked about Wednesday night, just getting stirred up in there. So that things can just come pouring out without thinking about it. So that we can again get a hopeful expectation based on what the word of God says. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4. About Abraham. Romans chapter 4 verses 18 through 21 talks about Abraham. Hallelujah. Romans 4. 18 through 21. It said, nope, that's Jeremiah. We, we, we left Jeremiah. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured or fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform it. So in verse 17, he says, in hope against hope, he believed. Well, against all natural hope, there was no natural hope of Abraham and Sarah having offspring. He was 100 years old. She was 90 years old. So in the natural, there's just no way this is going to happen. So in natural hope, he, he was, uh, had no hope, okay, in verse 18. Natural hope, he had no hope. But he hoped on in faith or he hoped on in God. So hoping on brings you out of natural hope into God hope. 
And the hope was God promised it. Now, even though in the natural, there's no hope, no way that this can ever happen. All right. So if I'm looking at the natural, I'm going to be like, well, I hope it works this time. Well, I hope this happens. I hope this, you know, how long is this going to take? See, that's natural hope. But in God hope, it is this is what God said, because he says in hope against hope, he believed that he might become according to that which had been what? Spoken. So we had a confident expectation according to the spoken word of God. So therefore, God said it. So therefore, this is what we have confidence in. Now, you might say, well, you know, if God spoke to me like that, then that would be good. You should be glad you're not in that condition. Abraham's spiritually dead. He needs an absolute visitation from God himself speaking to him from outward so that he could hear it. But actually, we can hear the Holy Spirit speak within our spirit. He could speak things to us within us. Isn't that right? We could be reading the word of God and all of a sudden something jumps out at us and speaks to us. Or we could hear something spoken in our spirit because we were meditating on the word of God and something witnesses on the inside. And there's all different ways that God can speak to us. We're not limited to that one way. Praise God. Amen. So when he knew what God said, just like you would know what God says, it says that he did not waver in unbelief. He did not waver. Okay. Now, how many of you ever read in Genesis about Abraham's life? You know he wavered. (laughs) You know, he waved quite a few times. All right. But when he got to the point to where he was, unwavering when he got to that point and not being weak in faith then manifestation occurred you understand when he got to the point of being unwavering fully persuaded knew that he knew regardless of what it looked like on the outside regardless of him being 100 years old regardless of sarah being 90 years old regardless of this being no way that this can ever happen in the natural god said And I believe what he said. I believe what his word says. Therefore, fully persuaded, knowing that I know on the inside. Isn't that right? And his faith, it says that his faith, uh, he grew strong in faith. Now, it doesn't say he got bigger faith. It doesn't say he got more faith. It says he grew strong in faith. So his faith that he had was strengthened. You know, remember when God would come to Abraham and he'd say, look at the stars of the sky. This is what your seed will be. Oh, look at the sands of the seashore. This is what your seed will be. What was God doing? Strengthening his faith. Okay, Abe, your name was Abram, but now I'm changing it to Abraham, that you will call yourself and everybody will call you the father of many nations. Even though at this point in your life, there's no offspring. And what was he doing? Building, building, strengthening faith. Amen. So when his faith got to the point of being unwavering, then manifestation occurred. Hallelujah. You know, that's what Jude chapter one, verse 20 is all about. Building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up. You build your faith. Amen. And it says that he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
giving glory to God. Now, the word glory has a very, very, very wide range of translations by many people. In fact, whenever you think about the glory of God, one of the first scripture references you think about was the, uh, the dedication of, the, of Solomon's temple. And the priests, they started to, to blow the trumpet and started praising God. And the glory of God just came in and they couldn't even stand up to minister. The glory was so heavy. That's what we normally think about when we think glory. And usually that's the only thing we think about when we think about the glory of God. But it's not. The word for glory is the Greek word doxa. And the main idea of this word means to think and to recognize. To think and to recognize. And it comes from the root word of dokio, which means a thought or opinion. A thought or an opinion. Now, when it comes to opinions, we know everybody has opinions. Oh, this is my truth. Oh, no, that's my truth. Oh, this is, well, this is my truth. You know, everybody has their own opinions, right? And most of human opinion is shifty, uncertain, rocky, and not firm at all because it's ever-changing. But there's a glory of God that is completely unchangeable and absolutely true. Are you with me? God's opinion marks the true value of things as they appear in the eternal mind of God and God's opinion. And when God values something, God's put his glory on it. For instance, you are the treasure of great price. He sold all that he had, gave all that he had out of heaven. He gave Jesus, which was his very best. His word came and became flesh. He gave his very best because he treasured you. And he treasures you so much because he values you. That means his glory is on you. Because his opinion of you is very valuable. Amen. Amen. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus appears to John, he's standing among the candlesticks, which is the churches. Golden candlesticks. Because he considers his church golden. That's his value. Are you with me? Amen. So to give glory to God is to recognize his opinion. To give glory to God is to recognize his thoughts, his words, what he says about a situation. Every time you feel bad and you start to declare Jesus bore my sicknesses and my diseases and carried my pains and by his stripes I am healed. And you start declaring that over your situation. You're giving glory to God. Amen. Are you with me? Meditating on what God says above everything else. Now, how do we do this? How do we give glory to God? With words. We give glory to God with praise. We give glory to God with thanksgiving. That's all giving glory to God. Stirring it up within our spirit. Amen. And as we do, we will revisit the confident expectations of hope and faith. So you've got to stir that up on the inside. You can't just sit there and think something's going to happen. You've got to stir up. The Apostle Paul even said, stir up the gift that is within you. Stir it up. Kindle it afresh. Isn't that right? 
See, it's in you. You can be lackadaisical. You could be apathetic. You could just be taking everything for granted, but it's still in you. And you got to stir it up. Get it working again. How? By getting into praise, getting into the word, getting into thanksgiving. You know, we've said this many times. From the day you got saved, if God never did another thing for you from the time you got saved to the time you got to heaven, if you, he never did anything for you, there was nothing in covenant, there was no promises laid out for you. Just the fact that he saved you, eternity is not long enough to say thank you for that. Just for that one thing, eternity is not long enough that you're not going to spend an eternity in hell. Dear God. Amen. And then we want to get upset. Well, I didn't get this. You know, we're like little kids having a tantrum. He's already given you the best that there is. Amen. Go to John chapter 1. Hallelujah. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. Now, who is he? The Word made flesh. This is Jesus, the Word made flesh. So we beheld his glory. So you could say we beheld the Word's glory. And that word glory is the same word, doxa, speaking of his divine character. Now, certainly John was with Peter and James, and they were all on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And they certainly saw him transfigured on the Mount, speaking to Moses and Elijah. But did they see his grace? When they were on that mountain, did they see his grace? Did they see his truth? No, they saw him transfigured, right? So here, when it says we beheld his glory, it's talking about we beheld the words he spoke. We saw the deeds that he did. We heard his thoughts. We listened to his opinions. We witnessed what he valued. See, that's all the glory of God. Now, you can live your whole life enjoying the glory of God, or you can sit on the sideline waiting for a manifestation of God's glory like in the, like in the temple. But you can live in the glory of God. The Word of God is a revelation of His glory. The Word became flesh and revealed to us the glory of God that is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The word grace, charis, it means God's kindness towards us. It's an absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men. And that's what Jesus showed. Jesus came to show the heart of God, the heart of the Father. Isn't that right? He showed God's kindness towards man. God's favorable attitude towards man. Amen. That's what Jesus came to show. In the New Testament, grace is defined three ways. The most common way that we know of is unmerited favor. But grace is also defined in the book of Galatians as the power and equipping for ministry or service, any form of service. 
And in the book of Corinthians, it's defined as the sum total of all earthly blessings. This is the grace of God. Hallelujah. Now you think about that, the grace of God, unmerited favor, the power and equipping that you need to serve, and the sum total of all earthly blessings. So who thinks the grace is not enough? Hmm. Hmm. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Going on through verse 15. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. So he talks in verse 12 about grace, that it instructs us, okay? Grace instructs us how to live, that we should deny ungodliness, unworldly desire, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So grace instructs us how to live. Grace don't excuse you for the way you want to live. And this is the erroneous speaking and teaching about grace, well, it's okay, I just messed up, but grace will take care of that. Oh, I can do that because I'm under grace. No, grace instructs you how to live. It doesn't excuse the way you want to live. And not only does grace instruct you, it empowers you to live the right way. Amen. It empowers you to live as you ought to live. You know, it's all the if and thens of the Bible. If you hearken, then the blessings come. You know, if this, then that. If. If you choose the if, you'll be empowered for the then. Grace makes this available and possible. And why do we want this available and possible? Because the more you press into this, the more you close down the access to the devil in your life. You shut that door on him. Amen. The glory of the word is full of grace and truth. Truth, the, the Greek word aletheia, truth. The word truth means the unveiled reality that lies at the basis of and agrees with an appearance. The unveiled rea reality that lies at the basis of and agrees with an appearance. All right, so... If I asked Pastor Nid, would you like a cup of tea? And she says, yes, I would like a cup of tea, cup of tea. And I'm like, oh, I don't know why I asked her that. Now I got to get up and make a tea. <laughs> so it looks like I want to make a tea and I go make her tea and I bring tea over to her. But what's the truth? You didn't want to. 
The truth is, I really just didn't want to do that. This is annoying me. So I'm not walking in truth. Because what's going on in me is different than what you see on the outside. He says eat and drink, but his heart's not with you. Have you ever had anybody over your house? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever had somebody to your house and you say, oh, yeah, come on in. You know, would you like something to drink? And all the time you're thinking, I wish they'd leave. Don't raise your hand. But we know things are common to all people. So that would not be truth. So the truth, if I was to say, would you like a cup of tea? And she says, yes, I would like you to make a cup of tea. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll get up and make a cup of tea. I'd be glad to do it and all that stuff and bring it to her. Now I'm walking in truth. Because mm-hmm. the unveiled reality that is not seen is lining up with that which is seen. That's good, yeah. So that's what truth is. When the unveiled reality of the unseen lies up with the seen realm. So the truth is actually the manifested, veritable essence of a matter. Amen. So how many times have you said things, or maybe you've did this before you got saved. I'm sure as a believer you would never do this, but it could be that before you got saved you may have had incidents. But you've done something, and uh, it shows one way. But then you hold back on the inside and you're not going to say some things. And then you'll say, but I didn't lie. Yes, you did, because the action is a lie, because the inside and the outside don't line up. So the action is a lie. Now, you may not have, quote unquote, lied out of your mouth, but that's a living lie. Because inside is not the outside. The veritable matter You see, the essence of the situation, the truth, the verity and the reality. That's what truth is. It pertains to an appearance. Okay, the glory of man is all about what's seen. Oh, look at what I did. The Pharisees, look at how much we put into the into into the bucket. Oh, look, we're standing on the street corners and we're praying. It's all about being seen. See, that's the glory of man. But the glory of God It's his opinion of it. He said, don't be like those Pharisees that stand on the street corner and they 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 ring a bell so that everybody can see that they're putting money into the bucket and giving. Don't be like them. They do it to be seen of men and they have their reward in full. But you, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and do it in secret. And your and your father, who is in secret and sees it in secret, will repay you openly. So what is he talking about? He's talking about that they're living a lie. What's on the inside is not the same as what's on the outside. So God's opinion, God's glory on that situation is his opinion of it. The reality of things is always in the unseen realm. His word is the reality that lies at the basis of what is seen. Okay, so again... Sickness attacks my body, but the reality at the basis of that is Jesus has bore my sicknesses and my diseases. He's carried my pains, and by his stripes I'm healed. He sent his word to heal me and deliver me from my destruction. It's a benefit of being in the kingdom. He forgives all my iniquity, and he heals all my infirmities. Amen. Are you with me? So 
That's the reality of the situation. Now, if what's outside isn't lining up with what's on the inside, that's a lie. And that has to change. That's going to have to line up with what's on the inside. Why? Because his word is truth, unchangeable. Isn't that right? And so since his word is the reality that lies at the basis of what is seen, that's why faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of what's not seen. Amen. His truth is the real truth. His truth is the only truth. There is no other truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There is none other. So when we understand this in reality, our confident expectations get fired up. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. If I understand that his word is full, full of grace and truth, then I could set my faith on his word because his word is full of grace and truth. I can trust in him. I can make him, his word, the reason for my confident expectation and hope. He said it. He declared it. I believe it. I take it to myself. I will not be like those in the book of Hebrews that says that that word they heard did not profit them because they didn't unite it with faith. Amen. Getting refired in faith in order to attach to his grace which is based on the veritable and undeniable truth of his word. His veritable truth is the real evidence and verdict of the situation. So when his word says, by his stripes you're healed, and the situation says you're sick, that word is a verdict that says you're guilty. Not you as a person, the situation. That thing needs to be changed. That thing needs to be hauled away and put in prison. It's been a verdict been given against it. Amen. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 1. Verse 11 and 12. We love the word of God. That's why we spend so much time in it. This is why we never have to worry about answering something with our own opinions. The word is the opinion. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart, impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So he says here, I, would wa- I want to impart some spiritual gift. Some. He didn't mention what. He said some. So he's not talking about salvation because he's talking to believers. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, he would have said, I've come to impart the Holy Spirit to you. But Paul is headed to Rome to do what? To minister to the believers in Rome. He's coming to teach. And the Lord would then, through Paul's ministry, impart whatever was needed for each person. It could have been a revelation that somebody needed to receive. It could have been the Holy Spirit that somebody needed. It could have been a gift of the Spirit or a gift of service. 
It could have been anything, something that will deepen their faith because he said that you may be established or that you would be strengthened. So God knows what you need. You come to church, you sit in a service and God will impart to you what you need under the corporate anointing so that you as an individual can receive what you need so you can leave strengthened, more strengthened than when you came in. Are you with me? So whatever this is, he said, some spiritual gift is going to help them to understand what their faith meant. You know, you need to understand what your faith, you know, faith, you know, faith is not just about healing and geez, money. God, help us. You know, but a lot of people and, you know, when you first got saved, now I got saved 42 years ago. So there was a lot about health and money because we were sick and broke. (laughs) (laughs) So you needed to know about health and money. I mean, you know, by the time I got saved, my son was four years old and he spent at least one trip in the hospital every year. And they were sick. Kids were sick all the time. So we needed to know some stuff about healing and we needed to know some stuff about prosperity. Are you with me? But it goes way beyond that. And faith is designed to affect your families. Faith is designed to affect your businesses. Faith is designed to affect relationships. Amen. And every time we hear the word of God, it should be able to be used or operated in and functioned in in any realm of our life. Because faith is a principle. You could sit in a service and hear about faith for healing and understand faith for dealing with anxiety. You could sit in a service that teaches about faith for prosperity and you can learn and you can receive how to use faith in that relationship. Because they're principles. Faith is a principle. Faith is not like it can only work in this situation or work in that situation or this situation. I was talking to somebody just the other day and faith, you know, Jesus talked about prayer, for instance. You know, in when Jesus spoke about prayer, he said there's a prayer of agreement. There's a prayer of laying on hands. There's a prayer of commitment. There's a prayer of faith. You know, there's different kinds of prayer. Well, what kind of prayer is going to function and work in your situation? Now, prayer works in every situation, but what one works in your particular situation at that time. And I've known people that they'll say, well, I'm going to get somebody to agree with me. I'll have somebody lay hands on me. I'm going to get, make a commitment and I'm going to pray a prayer of faith. And I'm going to cover all the bases. Well, that's like, you know, we're going down the list. That's nothing but reasoning. And there's no faith involved in that. The idea is what's, uh, what is needed in this particular situation. And it's not always the same. Are you with me? So we receive by sitting and hearing the word and we receive on the inside from the Lord as we all individually have need. We don't all sit and hear the same thing. But we can hear what we need. Isn't that right? If the church at Rome was clear on the fact that faith can affect your family, your business, and your relationships, then the church would be made strong. Their faith would get strong. And then they could hold up under any circumstances. And how many of you know that 
back in those days, there were circumstances you needed to hold up to. Things were pretty rough. I mean, today, Christians, you know, they're such whiners. They just didn't talk nice to me. They didn't cut your head off, did they? If they cut your head off, you wouldn't be whining anymore. That's for sure. (laughs) Come on. You look so holy sitting there. (laughs) So Paul hoped that the spiritual effects of his intended visit to Rome would be powerful and it would be mutual. He said that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, how would Paul be encouraged by others' faith? Paul, sit down. I got something to teach you. That's what people think. And, you know, I get encouraged just coming to church and you're here. Because there's a, there is a mutual, you know, sharing of faith, the life of God, love of Jesus. You know, and we just share in that. And because of being in each other's presence, I could have a miserable week. I mean, I've, I have actually, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I have come to church, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, not, not this week, but I have. <laughs> Where I was just ticked off to the limit. I did not want to be bothered with anything. I really didn't even want to see (laughs) y'all. I'm just being honest with you. It was not a good week. In fact, it probably wasn't even a good morning, you know, and uh, things didn't go well. But the minute I walked in that door and saw you, everything changed. And it's because of the mutual sharing, just being with one another. And the more that you grow and the more that I grow, the more we share with one another. Are you with me? Okay. So that was what Paul wanted, that there would be a sharing with one another just by being among each other. Okay. That I would impart some spiritual gift. And the word gift, the Greek word charisma, and it means a gift from God's grace. It's a gracious, the gracious gift of God. That it would be imparted to you, communicated to you, distributed and shared with you. And it was a spiritual gift, which means that was the nature of it. Amen. You know, there are grace gifts within the body of Christ. There's gifts for service that comes from the Lord. It could be a ministry of helps. It could be fivefold ministry. And it's amazing to me, you know, and I just heard this recently. But it would, it's amazing to me how people think that the ministry of helps, you know, well, I'm not in the fivefold ministry. I'm just in helps. Oh, geez, I'm so sorry. You're on the level with the Holy Spirit. I'm so sorry. You know, he is the helper. And people think ministry of helps is, you know, fivefold ministry is up here and then ministry of helps is down here. And I'm going to try to get my way up there. See, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. In fact, the Bible talks about the fivefold ministry as the foundation that holds. That means the weight of the church is on the fivefold ministry. So if that's what you want. Yeah, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is the main helper. You know, he's not here to do what you're supposed to do. He's here to help you with it. So he's the main helper. So I think ministry of helps is quite a amazing position. 
The other grace gifts are gifts of revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. There's grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, discerning of spirits, working of miracles, gifts of healings, uh, special faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecies, you know. But we all have gifts, it tells us in Romans 12, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace that's been given to us. You know, that was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were all arguing and fighting with each other on whose grace is better and whose gift was better. And I can outdo you with my gift. And it was just competition. And Paul had to go in and correct that. Of course, the whole purpose of gifts is what? Strengthening. That you would be established, strengthened. Amen. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. We're coming down to the end. They've turned on the landing lights. I can see them in the distance, but I can see them. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Well, let's read verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some as apostles. You know, this is the only time that the blessing of God and the grace of God is for some. It's the only time it's mentioned, Some. Everything else, all the other blessings, the promises, and everything else in the Bible is for all, for whosoever would believe. So he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping, perfecting, and maturing of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So all, all of these, the giftings here, is for the building up. Not only the building up, but the building of the body of Christ. Because the evangelist outreaches will build the body of Christ. But those that are serving within the body, then they are building up the body. All right? You understand that? So there's a building of and there's a building up of the body. Verse 13. Yeah, I've had a lot of non-responsive stuff on my computer lately, too. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, let's read verse 13 in the Amplified Bible. It says that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ, and the completeness found in him. Now, that's a mouthful. But I want you to notice one thing here. It talks about the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that, in order that, so that, we might arrive at really mature manhood. What's mature manhood? The completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. That's the personality we're supposed to be walking in, not the one the world's created in us. And this is why we've said it over and over and over and over again until we get tired of saying it. Your personality didn't come from God. Your personality is a product of the flesh and a product of what you have experienced, what you were brought up with, and what you've had to deal with in your life, and you developed a personality out of it. 
But the true personality is the standard of Christ's own perfection. That means our personality ought to be changing as we grow in God. Amen. Are you with me? Now, I know that's hard for some people to swallow, but take a big gulp. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, your personalities are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that personality changes with growth in God. You know, my personality before getting saved, you know, I needed the fruit of the Spirit. I needed to hear about kindness. I was not a kind person. I was not a good person, and I certainly had no self-control. I didn't have a lot of stuff that was in the fruit of the Spirit, that list. And my personality reflected that. So hopefully, then as my life has increased with God, I'm a little more kinder than I used to be. I'm a little gooder than I used to be. And dear God, I hope I have more self-control than I used to. The only self-control I had was the choice not to have self-control. So I hope that that's, you know, changed now and that affects my personality. Are you with me? So the comprehension, the completeness rather of personality, which is the standard height of Christ's own perfection. This is what we're looking to grow to. And this is why, you know, sometimes you're hearing the word being taught and you feel like your toes got stepped on. Well, that's why. Because there's something in your life that needs to be changed. Because you've got to grow into this height of Christ's perfection. And how many of you know that for the rest of our days on this earth, we're going to be growing? Yes. Amen. Amen. But thank God when we see him, we'll be like him. Verse 15 uh, back in the New American Standard, verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love. Oh, let's go to Amplified. Let's look at it in the Amplified. It says, rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, the Messiah, the anointed ones. So that our lives would lovingly express truth in all things, in what we speak, in what we do, in how we live, that we would live truth. You know, third John, uh, John says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children walking in truth. Well, what does it mean to walk in truth? It means the inward and the outward are in agreement. Okay. So the word is truth. Full of truth. Isn't that right? So growing up in him is to grow up in truth. Verse 16 in the Amplified. We know it's there. <laughs> Can you go to the Amplified on that, please? Uh, verse 16. It says, for because of him, the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, 
when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all of its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. So again, there's a lot that he says here. But he says that closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all of its functions. So it's each person within the body of Christ in service working with power that gets adapted, that God empowers us to walk in what he graces us to do so that we can fulfill that position, that we could properly function. You know, there, you can have a function, but then there's a properly function. You know, uh, surgically, medically, I could actually remove my left arm and I could medically attach it to my left leg. And I'd still have two arms. But they're not going to be working like they ought to be. That arm on my leg, it's there, but it's not doing what it should. It has to be in its proper position, and it has to be properly strengthened to do what it needs to do. Well, it's the same thing with us. We want to be in the proper position, and we want to be properly strengthened so that we can fulfill and properly function what it is that we need to do. Because it's the gifts of grace and empowerment that comes from it. In fact, let's go over here to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. In the New American Standard. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. And he's talking about the operations of God within the body of Christ here. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Okay, well, he talks about... (laughs) That there are many gifts, but the same Spirit. Then he talks there about there are many administrations or many ministries, but the same Lord. And then there are many effects, okay, but the same God that works all in all, okay? And what we actually see is the gifts of the Spirit, which we know there are nine gifts of the Spirit. Is that right? So on one hand, we have the gifts of the Spirit, Then on the other hand, we have the ministries that come from the Lord. When he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. And they were either their gifts of grace, fivefold ministry. They could be helps ministry, but they all come from the Lord. So you have the gifts of the Spirit, and then you have the ministries of the Lord. But then it says, then God works the effects of them both. So he takes the gifts of power, and he takes the position of service and then for your position of service then the empowerment that you need is there so he works those things all in all okay so he you know the effects of a usher working by the anointing of god is going to be different than a worship person operating by the anointing of god each one can be empowered to do what they do 
but they'll be empowered differently because they do different things. But whatever the empowerment is for, it will be to fulfill the function and position that you're in. And this is why we say God don't need a warm body. This is not about just being a warm body and doing something. This is about connecting with the anointing. You know, the ministry of help started in Acts chapter 6, and it was to, uh, it was to feed, it was to feed the, the widows fried chicken in the mess hall. And what did they need for uh, uh, requirements? He said, find us seven men full of wisdom, good report, and full of the Spirit. To serve chicken? Anybody could serve chicken. I mean, we serve chicken in the military. The guy's behind us yelling in our, in our ear. You give him a breast and a wing or a leg and a thigh. A breast and a wing or a leg and a thigh. You don't give him a breast and a leg. You give him a breast and a wing or a leg. See, I still remember that. It was constantly in my ear. You don't give him two breasts or anything. No, no. Don't, they ask you for another one? No. Breast and a wing or a leg and a thigh. That's, that's all they get. so these guys just to serve in the mess hall needed to be full of wisdom good reputation full of the spirit why because they're dealing with people that's why this is why people that work in the body of christ should be of good reputation Full of, the wisdom, full of wisdom and full of the Spirit. Because you got to deal with people. And we know people can be people. Don't matter if they're saved or not saved. People can be people. People are people wherever you're at. Isn't that right? Amen. And not everybody's full of the love of Jesus. <laughs> so God is going to take the empowerments of the gifts of the Spirit with the positions of service and bring together that which is needed so that you can fulfill your position properly. Mm, Amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, I, I remember times when, just, just a quick uh, uh, story here. Uh, but I remember a time when we were getting ready for, um, uh, we, we would have like a year-long, uh, a week, not a year, a week-long meetings and our pastor uh, called them the times of refreshing. So they would be a week-long worth of meetings, and, you know, he'd have guest speakers come in and stuff. And I headed up the organization of the meetings at the time. I headed up Helps Ministry. So I had to head up all the ushers, the catchers, the door greeters, and everything else. So I had to make sure everybody, everything was in position, everything was right before service. I'd have to go to all the departments, make sure everything was good. And, uh, and I remember standing in the foyer just before service started, and one of the ushers said to me, and there was, they were all sitting, there was a team of ushers, and, and the, uh, one, one of the ushers says to me, uh, so what do you think is going to happen tonight? <laughs> and I looked at him and just come out of me, everything. Everything's going to happen tonight. You need to be on your toes for everything and anything. <laughs> they were not happy to hear that. You know, so we, we, we got to one part of the service and we're just sitting there and the pastor gives a ministry call for people to come up. And there was probably about 250 people in the church, maybe a little less. So he has this ministry call and I just know it. Everybody's going down at one time. 
You know, a lot of times you could catch people going down the line so they don't get hurt and stuff. But you just knew. I just knew it. Everybody's going down at one time. So we got all the ushers up there. And, of course, we're short. So we start calling people out of the congregation, come up here, stand behind people. And I'm looking down the line, and it looks, and I look like we got everybody covered. And the pastor's walking back and forth. And I happen to look in front of me, and there's two people in front of me and only me. And I'm like, oops, missed somebody. Well, right about that time, the pastor said what he said. The anointing of God hit, and everybody came down at one time. And I was like, I had to catch one in one arm, one in the other arm. <laughs> you know. But, see, the whole point was, without that empowerment, I never would have knew that. We never would have been prepared for it. Never would have had it together. And it could have been a scramble. It could have been chaos. It could have been a mess. But thank God for the gifts. And he wants to empower us to do and to function what we need to function in. So we can do it correctly. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us in the things that we do. You know, there's many times we don't know what's going to happen in service. There's many times I get into worship and it's like, I don't know. Let's just start in and see what happens. We don't know what God's going to do. You know, he doesn't give you an agenda. Well, here's the agenda. First three songs will be five minutes and then the next two songs. You know, he doesn't do that. He's just like, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. And then the Lord's going to look around and go, well, let's see how they're receiving and what they're doing. And okay, let's go in this direction then. You have no idea, but a lot of what goes on in church depends on you. Because he's here for you. Isn't that right? Amen. Sometimes I get involved in teaching. You know, I get involved in teaching and studying to teach. And it's like, I don't know where I'm going. I really don't. I'm going to start on something. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm going to start going on it. And, you know, like I said, we teach everything in series. So you got to go down this path all the time. And I never know, don't always know where I'm going. But sometimes I get to a point and I'm like, look at that. Oh, that's good. You know, you know, it's like, I didn't know. Here we go. And it's just the Holy Spirit's bringing things line upon line and just go down the path and just learn to follow him. Isn't that right? Amen. Can you do one more verse? Yes. Okay, one last verse here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6 in the Passion Translation. Okay, verse 6, Passion Translation. Thank you, Jesus. It says, the same God distributes different kinds of miracles that accomplish different results through each believer's gift and ministry as he energizes and activates them. You know, many times in the Bible, we see things about faith, ministry, service, believing, and they're always attached to energy, power, fervency, zeal. You'll never see in the Bible where it talks about faith, service, believing, and it's just sit back, relax, take it easy, wait. You'll never see that. Never. He energizes, okay? The Greek word energeo means to active, activate, and to make energetic, to affect, to prove oneself strong. Well, remember Ephesians 3.16? 
that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and his grace so that you would be strengthened in your inner man with his divine power. Remember that? Well, this is what he's looking to happen. That grace, those gifts of grace that you become strengthened on the inside so that you can move forward and do the things he wants you to do. You could be strengthened to be active and energized in him. So if we were going to take a word, I think if I was going to take a word and say how we should be within the body of Christ, how we should be within service, how we should be within functioning in the body of Christ, it would be enthusiasm, enthusiasm rather, enthusiasm. Now, enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, N-E-N and theo, T-H-E-O, N-theo. That's where we get the word enthusiasm, which means entheo means in God. That's the Greek word for in God. Our enthusiasm has to be in God. Why do we, as the body of Christ, lose enthusiasm? Because we step away from in God. And we start looking at other things. We become the third person in the parable of the sower, where we start desiring other things. We start taking on the care of the world. We start taking on the deceitfulness of riches. And now all of a sudden, we're not in God anymore. And we're not enthusiastic for him. We're enthusiastic for those things we're running after. And that's what's creating the pains in our life. Amen. So, you know, as much as serving and operating and functioning in the body of Christ is an important function in our Christian life, it's also a great learning process. Learning to trust in the Lord. You know, that when we were involved, whether it was ushering, catching, whatever it might have been, had to be alert, had to be aware, had to know what was going on. You know, you, if you waited to see what was happening before you moved, you're late. You're too late. You're behind the, behind the curve. You got to know before it even happens. We used to do worship. And in, in worship, I know, I know, I know. In, in, this is my last story. And in, and in worship, you know, the worship leader would get up and go, well, I don't know, let's just start playing and let's see what happens. And you had to kind of know what was going on. So if you waited, like if you're playing, like it's like upbeat music and they're going to move over into worship music and you don't know that and you wait till the worship music starts till you stop your upbeat music, you're going to be late. You got to know on time and know beforehand, before it even happens, you got to be prepared and ready before it even happens. It doesn't matter if you're at the door, doesn't matter if you're an usher, doesn't matter if you're on the sound system in the media room, children's church, nursery, doesn't matter where you're operating, you need to know before things happen. Otherwise, you're not prepared for it, and then you're late. So it's a great learning process, learning to develop an expectation in the Lord. Amen. And it's easier to do it in a corporate anointing setting. Hallelujah. So we want to get refired up again in our hopeful expectations, refired in faith, refired in the gifts of the spirit. And like we said Wednesday night, fervented spirit serving the Lord, fervented spirit serving the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. So you don't only have to look at and behold 
the glory of God full of grace and truth, you can actually be a partaker of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the adoration. For you alone, O Lord, are worthy of it all. You are the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. Thank you for your life that's within us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Now, whether you're in the room, whether you're on live stream or whether you're on podcast, we thank you for being here today. But maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life and you'd like to today. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're hearing this live or if you're hearing an archive on it. The anointing of God remains and stays the same. And the, the salvation is extremely simple. It says that in the word of God that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we declare that God has raised him from the dead. And if we believe that, then salvation becomes part of our life. The old things have passed away and we become brand new in Christ with his life and his nature on the inside of us. So if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life and you'd like to, then just repeat this with the rest of us. God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I see now that he is my Savior and my Lord. I receive him into my life as he paid the price for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, giving yourself for me. I declare right now that you are Lord and that you are raised from the dead by the power of God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Father, for making me your child, that I can live in your house, in your kingdom, and that I can be delivered out of darkness. And I give myself today to continue to walk down your path into greater light, greater freedom, greater things that you've given to me. I thank you for it, Father. And I praise you for those things. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. If this is the first time that you've ever accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, and um, please let us know. Please just send us an email. Uh, let us know that you've accepted Jesus. And we just want to send you a, a book. We're not going to bug you with emails and, and all this other stuff, phone calls. We, we won't do any of that. We just want to send your book, some material, so that you can know what happened today as you became a new creature in Christ. Your destiny has changed. Heaven is now going to be your home. Glory to God. Welcome to the family. It does not matter what church you're in in order to be saved. It's what family that you're in, and that's what counts. So welcome to the family of God. And we're glad you made that decision today. Amen. 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 Father, we bless you and praise you, Father. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We come before you right now with our giving, Father, and thank you for the opportunity to bring in our tithe, to sow our seed, 
to bless you with our first fruit offering. And Father, I thank you for the promises that's attached to each type of giving. And that whatever we may be giving today, Father, that we take the correct promises and we declare them over our giving. And I thank you that you watch over your word to perform it and that harvest is on our way. And that as harvest comes into our life, we can start the process of giving over again. Father, I thank you that you bless us so that we can be a blessing, that we can touch those that are in our sphere of influence of life. And Father, I thank you so much that the blessing that you've put within us is the blessing we can share with others. We thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.